This podcast episode mentions substance use disorder, mental health issues, suicide, suicidal ideations, morbid ideations, medical marijuana, sexual assault, sexual abuse, childhood trauma, and more. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this episode of And Life Happened. I am your co-host, Samantha. And I am your co-host, Jessica. On this episode, we will be talking with Mike. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thank you for having me. Mike, tell us your story. Okay. Um, you know, childhood was is a bit of a blur, uh, and that's for for medical reasons, I had a, um, a severe head injury, um, when I was about 13 or 14 years old. And it, it cost quite a bit of my, uh, my childhood that I, I just don't recall. Um, it, you know, standard middle-class family, um, father was a good man, um, drank alcoholically for, you know, as long as I've known up until his death. And uh, my mother uh, was a drinker while she was still married. Um, and she ultimately ended up moving in with my wife and I, and we, we were both in recovery. So um, she, she quit drinking. Um, but mom was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. So we've got a little bit of mental health in, in the uh, tree. Um, but, but honestly, um, he, you know, the childhood for the most part was unremarkable. Um, there were some, some violent episodes, but it, but it was absolutely episodic. It was not a chronic every night kind of a scenario. There were, there were a lot of really good times. Um, and I, and I, I did feel like my mother and my father both loved me. Um, I'm number five out of five. Um, I'm the baby. Um, so, uh, you know, at, at, um, oh, I think I was probably 13 years old, either 12 or 13 and my parents divorced and my mother and I went to Charlotte, North Carolina and mom was, um, running a little art gallery and, um, drinking heavily. Um, and I was kind of free to do whatever I wanted to do. And, um, it was, a it was not a super luxurious apartment complex that we were living in. So I was able to get in trouble, uh, real quickly. And, uh, I can remember being in sixth or seventh grade and, and snorting lines of Coke. Hmm. Um, yeah, not able to go to sleep. Um, just a little kid with doing bong pools and, um, just running like a heathen. And ultimately that ran its course. And my mom sent me back to Pensacola uh, to live with my, my father and my stepmother and my step, one of my stepbrothers. I have two stepbrothers now. Um, but really, you know, I, you know, I did a, did time in the military, drank heavily in the military, started ramping up. I, I used while I was in the military. I never, um, curve my my drug use or or my drinking um no matter what i always made my situation fit um and uh ended up staggering into a uh into a 12-step fellowship when i was 32 years old um 
a year later, my first son was born. By the way, my wife, Stephanie, is um, she's also in recovery. Uh, she's in the same fellowship that I'm in, but we don't go to meetings together. Um, it, at any rate, she um, she got sober because she had she had a very rough time with some things. And um, I think I don't think I know that's the only reason that our marriage has lasted 25 years is because we got drugs and alcohol out of our lives. and uh, mm-hmm. We were we were pointed at um, raising our children. We had two boys. Chris was born um, in 2000, and Paul was born in 2003, and um, that was our life. Um, We participated very heavily in the 12-step fellowship, Um, went to meetings every day, had people that stayed in our house with us. we we put on special events and and we were just very active in service. It, it was it was critical and has always been and is still critical to to um, what makes everything kind of tolerable today. Um, but but at any rate, I um, I found a man that I trusted, and he took me through the twelve steps, and I have not had to have a drink since. That was February twenty sixth of ninety nine. I did, I did slip. I fucked up. Um, but that's, that's really it for another time, I guess. Um, and long story short is I, I convinced myself that medical marijuana was okay. It was legal. So, you know, what's it going to hurt? And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no longer doing that. I'm back on track, completely abstinent of all lewd and non-adulterant substances. But I will tell you this, uh, something to bear in mind it, to, to you guys or anybody that's listening, if somebody is trapped like I was trapped and still get trapped in suicidal ideation and morbid ideation and reflection, um, for me, a hitting a med- medical pen would snap me out of it immediately. And, you know, I'd go mm. from wanting to kill myself to watching cat videos. <laughs> you know, mm. it, it, mm. it would just pull me through. Um, but it's not a sustainable solution for me. And I, I, I don't, I don't look down on anybody. I don't have any anything negative to say whatsoever about someone that uses medicinal marijuana. Uh, it's just for me, um, I'm an addict, alcoholic, and and if if I allow myself any room, uh, I'm going to smoke it from you know morning till night. Period. Mm-hmm. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and reach over and grab a pen and hit it and go back to sleep. Uh, it's just how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, it's just it's just not sustainable. But um, so Chris, um, my oldest boy, um, I coached him in in football from sixth grade to ninth grade. Then he went into to high school and was he had some big D one schools looking at him. Uh, and in his junior year, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of his sophomore year, he he. Um, fell down while playing and and suffered a um, 180 degree posterior labrum tear which is basically ripping uh the arm trying it hyperextended backwards and the oh. bone ripped through the soft tissue uh-huh. and so, so that was surgery and in retrospect I, I really i really wish we would have pulled him out and not let him play but he he was a big kid um six four 280, uh, yeah. very agile. Yeah. 
And he ended up getting a, a scholarship to a small school in Kentucky, Georgetown. And um, went, went, went up there and stayed for two years and um, played a little bit uh, up there. They redshirted him two years in a row. Um, they were going to put some thighs on him and, and then cut him loose. And he ended up getting in some trouble when he came back home. He didn't want to be away anymore. And um, mm-hmm. um, we had a, uh, at the time we were living in a house that had a mother-in-law suite and Paul lived mm-hmm. up front with us and Chris lived in the mother-in-law suite. Mm-hmm. And um I'm going to divert just a second. About three and a half years ago, I was running my my dream company, and it was a substance use disorder uh, treatment program that brought um, clinicians, a medical doctor, sober coaches, yoga instructors, and we brought it into a person's home. Uh, and both a combination of actually going to their, their home, and this is for substance abuse treatment, um, and then also, of course, virtually as well. Um, so it, it, it was cutting edge at the time, and nobody was doing it, starting to, starting to get traction post-pandemic because obviously why that happened. But um, And I found myself um, with a lot of energy. Um, racing thoughts, um, turning people away, uh, being, being really abrasive and, and, um, just an asshole. And, uh, I caught myself at some one point I was pacing around down in my son's room. He was away at the time and I was down there cause I was up and I didn't want to keep my wife awake. I was on a laptop or, or doing whatever. Uh, and I had not slept. It occurred to me in three days, mm-hmm. uh, three days. And um, shortly after that, I found myself at the time I owned two handguns. Um, mm-hmm. And I was debating which one I was going to use to to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people that loved me intervened and I ended up in um inpatient treatment in, ten- in Nunley, Tennessee, uh, at the ranch, and uh, where I was diagnosed as bipolar too. Um, prior to going to the ranch, I was put on uh, Zyprexa, a mood stabilizer, which uh, it's not politically correct, but it used to be called uh, antipsychotic medication. Now it's called a mood stabilizer. And um, I've been on that since. I'm actually in a taper right now, but... Um, so, and I, and the business went under, uh, we ran out of money. We ran out of runway. Um, I came home and, uh, we folded everything up and I, I got a regular nine to five and I had planned on killing myself, um, in January. Um, and then decided, you know, I'm not going to ruin the new year. Um, I'll, I'll wait a couple of months and not wreck everybody's holidays and new year. I'll get into uh, March or April, May, something like that. And, uh, and that's when I'll do it. Um, I've been plagued with, with SI for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on January 2nd of 
2022, I was laying in bed asleep at 1.30 a.m. And I heard my wife start screaming, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Mm -hmm. And I, my, my first thought, because she's she had fallen asleep on the couch in the living room. I was in bed. My first thought is this, it was a home invasion. Somebody had kicked a door mm-hmm. open. And so I jump up and I run out in the living room and um, my wife is slumping. And my, my youngest son, Paul, was holding her up. And I said, what the fuck happened? And he looked at me and said, Chris blew his head off. Oh. And uh, he found him. Um, he had gone out that night and came home about 1.30 and uh, walked in the back room and found his brother. Mm. And um, I started to run back there and he grabbed me, physically restrained me and said, you don't want to see that. Mm. So he, t- he took one for the team. Mm. And uh, ironically, uh, I'm in a position now that no matter how much I think about it or, or how desperate I get, um, suicide's no longer an option for me because I know how hard it is to go through it. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to subject people that love me to, to what I've been subjected to. Mm-hmm. find myself incredibly pissed off mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my boy. I miss I miss him so much. But Samantha, I know you you know heard a little bit of your story and I know that you can understand how uh the intensity of the waves of grief. Yeah. They may get farther apart, but they're they're as intense as the first day sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, complicating my my grief, you know, I'm I'm just trying to do the best I can. And me and my wife did. I mean, we were we've been active in a solution based program for two decades, and we knew that uh, we had to run towards a solution. Mm-hmm. So we started contacting our circle. I had. Uh, at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. This is no bullshit. Nine o'clock, ten o'clock the next morning, there were no fewer than 40 people in my house. Mm. No fewer than 40 people. And um I I I started uh, going to um, not a therapist, I can't remember, but long story short, I, I you know it's uh, I I I'm not exactly sure of her title, but we'll just call her a grief coach. I know she wasn't a licensed therapist, but she walked me through a workbook. Um, and I, I basically, it might've been too early because I started working with, um, I started with working with her and I, I, I think within three weeks, um, two and a half, three weeks. And I, all I could do is sit there and cry mm-hmm. and but that's it's good stuff, you know. And then I got a um, I'm, I was a volunteer. I am a volunteer with Scambia County Fire Department. I, I never 
get activated. But it, long story short is I'm a volunteer for critical incidents. So if there's a call and fire, uh, a, a fire department gets activated and let's say there are a couple of um, children that were killed in a motor vehicle accident or in a fire, they do a debriefing. And mm -hmm. although I've not been activated, what my position is, is to try and um, be a resource for people, men and women, uh, to not feel that they have to drink in order to survive their trauma. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's a traumatic career choice, you know? Mm -hmm. um, It, while I'm while I'm doing that, I meet a, a therapist who specializes in in P, what we like to call PTSI, uh, post traumatic stress injury, and I, I, I use the uh, term injury because it's very trauma is treatable. Uh, mm -hmm. It can it can be the swelling can be be uh, taken care of. I mean, you can you can actually um, arrest some of the symptoms and the and the um, discomfort associated with with trauma and she took me through a 12-week um cpt cognitive processing therapy it's a, it's a branch of cognitive behavioral therapy and and you know what i found out and what she did and i didn't know she was doing it at the time but but she did a damn good job of it um even through all my crying and and, and I just would come to pieces. She untangled my guilt from mm -hmm. my grief, from my grief. Mm -hmm. My guilt was wrapped around my grief. And I, I think it merits discussion to talk about for somebody who, who does have whatever, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's, got some form of neurosis in my opinion I've, I've yet to meet anybody that i spent any time with that didn't have some on some level weren't broken or fractured to a degree and i think it's a great i love it actually i think it's i think it brings color to our world you know um and it gives us opportunities to be of service and that's the that's the only that's the only thing that i've found that can create a sustainable form of happiness is service to others and those around us um, but the woulda, coulda, shoulda was absolutely killing me. I mm -hmm. spoke, I, sp I spoke to Chris, you know, the day he took his life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, God damn what I'd give to have that opportunity again. Mm -hmm. And the woulda, coulda, shouldas were were tearing me apart. And uh, Michelle Rebin with the Second Alarm Project separated my grief from my guilt. And I was able to mourn. And uh, I, I wasn't, uh, she brought an awareness to this maladaptive thinking that I was, kept getting hung up in of, uh, well, why didn't you do this? You should have done that. Mm -hmm. If you... If you'd have just been a better father, this wouldn't have happened. And that's just not true. 
Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, it's a 21 year old man and he's a gun owner. And he made a decision, a very, very um, impulsive decision, no note. He had met with a couple of people that day and they, they described him as being jovial and in a good mood. And for some reason, he, he had a thought. And once he, uh, once he got in that, that groove on that, on that path and started thinking about it, uh, he was not drunk. He was not high. But um, he did play nine years of football as a lineman. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we believe that um, CTE played a part in his inability to, uh, to stop once he mm-hmm. uh, concussive traumatic encephalopathy so little little concussions over and over and over again uh on the frontal lobe um and it's very very common uh for people with with traumatic brain injury and with cte to it increases the odds that that you're going to kill yourself period i hate to say it um you know, we we were were a foot. I can't even watch football anymore. But I mean, we were a football family. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what we did on weekends, and we we trained in the off season. I just, um, I'm not ready to carry the banner yet, but I'm telling you right, absolutely no question. Mm-hmm. That that part of the reason my son is dead today is because of. Uh, repeated head injuries mm-hmm. I took him to the hospital twice you know for concussions but I mean you know the way I came up and when I was in school and when I played the little bit of football that I played um, you just got your bell rung mm-hmm. shake it off shake it off get back in there and I'm not here to try and change the sport up all I want to do is my fight is going to be with uh, trying to bring awareness to mm-hmm. these mental health issues. And, and I, God, if we can, if, if it's true that that dialogue, you know, um, by talking about it, by throwing this on the table, we diminish the stigma associated with it and it gets weaker. Um, I, I would like for it to be a common discussion to have, How, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. you know, it's yep. horrible. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I've gotten in a habit now, even if I'm not super close with somebody, but I will ask you how your mental health is. How's your mm-hmm. mental health? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been surprised on several occasions that people will actually tell you I've been depressed the last few days. I've been, I, mm-hmm. I was depressed a month ago, but things shifted. Now I'm a little bit better. I'm, I'm anxious. People will talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think it's getting better, you know. It's a, it's a poignant question you're asking too. Um, instead of how are you, right? Like, uh-huh. how is your mental health? That's so poignant, um, specific. Yeah, I think it's automatic to say I'm good. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you ask that question, and it, you know the the new thing too that that I'm sure you both are aware 
um, if you encounter somebody that's struggling and we know that they're in the dark uh, and, you know, they're depressed uh, or extremely anxious and you suspect that they're deliberating suicide, you're not supposed to say anymore, ask them, um, are you, are you okay? Um, to, are you, you're supposed to ask, are you thinking of killing yourself? Yeah. Not, yeah. it's, it's supposed to be that flat because there's plenty of research that says you're not going to plant a seed in somebody's mind by asking the question, but, but you may open up dialogue. You may, you know, mm-hmm. you may be surprised with what they say. I've, uh, I've met some really good people. And, uh, you know, thinking about Mark. Mark was down in, uh, in the Boca Raton area. And he took his life. Done. And Olivia, up in Georgia. Beautiful little girl. Just just about to graduate from high school. She didn't see another way out. Kevin. He didn't see a way out. See, that's, that's, that's another question that I think is very important. Um, do you want to die? Do you want to kill yourself? Or do you just want the pain to stop? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. most people, most people will say, I just want the pain to stop. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we can fucking do something about pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can fucking work on this. Just mm-hmm. give us enough time to, you know, mm-hmm. employ. I, for me, for me to maintain my balance, it's medication meditation and prayer and meetings but I, I i really do i i just i don't think that that they want it i mean because it's fucking hard life is a bitch at times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i'm 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 uh i'm very quick to uh to talk about my si and it really, it just weakens it every time I do it. Just it, it weakens it a little bit more and it takes the power away from it. And it puts people um, on alert to, you know, pay attention. If you love me, pay attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I shouldn't be left alone for long periods of time. You know, I'm not to be trusted. And I, I think part of what's going on is when Chris killed himself, it, it gave me the right to be a victim until the day I died. If I would have started drinking again, if I would have started using again, I know that a lot of people would be upset. They, they, they'd be concerned, but I think most of them would say, I kind of understand. I get it. Yeah. I think there's a difference between being a victim and having a victim mentality. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I have one or two ways of, to go. I'm either going to let this kill me or I'm going to jump in and be of service and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and help people. So I have a question for you, if it's okay. Of course. So we talk a lot about community on And Life Happen. This is something that Samantha has focused on and um, it, it comes up 
in every podcast recording. And you mentioned um, that you called your circle. That equates to community. So it, you know, um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how your circle helped you. Oh, man. Um, As I mentioned, you know, the next, the very next day. So my circle is, is I've got a deep, deep bench of players. Hmm. Um, I have uh, for 23 years now, I've, I've, been able to engage in relationships to say that I'm, I'm close with and intimate with, with 40 or 50 people. It's not an exaggeration because I'm that guy. I will go there. I will go into the dark cracks and crevices and, and ask the questions and, you know, how are you? Um, I have um, sponsored probably. I don't think. I don't think 200 is an exaggeration. And when, when you, when you work with somebody um, in, in a 12 step fellowship, I think most of them, this would apply to, you get to know them real good. I mean, you go into a really, really deep uh, history and, and you really want to pull out the, the things that, that we don't necessarily like to talk about or we don't bring out. And I've sat and, and cried with, with people that, you know, for the first time in their lives, where they were able to discuss the fact that they're sexually assaulted or molested as a child. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very, very intimate stuff. And you create these bonds that are lifelong, substantive bonds. And, uh, I, I just I have a, a a huge huge network of people, and does my wife? She's yeah. she's even she's she makes me look lazy when it comes to to helping people. <laughs> she's she um she's she's an archivist for this organization, and she's yeah. always putting on classes, and you know she's kind of a little speaker thing she's got going on, and. Um, also with with suicide she's she's been on the news a couple times and mm-hmm. and you know been very vulnerable in front of you know thousands of people and cried her eyes out you know on camera um trying to to navigate through um this mm-hmm. through life and I, and I also I'd like to say um Paul is 19 um he is uh we he was thrown in therapy pretty much the week that this happened mm-hmm. uh, with a dude that he really got along with we have i had Yay. a relationship yeah emdr mm-hmm. it's done mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um and he, he now he did back off of that but it's kind of funny he, he picked up a guitar about a year ago, and uh, that's really been very, very helpful for him. Learn, just learn mm-hmm. to play guitar and sing. And he went out and got his real estate license, and, and him and his mom are, are working together, um, mm-hmm. doing open houses and, and um, living life. And I love <laughs> him. He is a good, good man. He's such a caring person. And, uh, I mean, that was a how, you know, I, I, I just hope that, you know, he's able to process this thing. 
health in a healthy way. Awesome. You know, there are so many things, Mike, that you have um, brought up that related to resilience and you know vulnerability, open dialogue, constantly talking about it. Um, and I think one of the things that I keep coming back to with you is awareness, um, mm, mm-hmm. not just like you bringing awareness to things, but just awareness of yourself and awareness of your own needs and how that has helped you kind of navigate everything, you know, an awareness, like I have to sit in these emotions and they are uncomfortable and they're yucky and they make me feel horrible, but I have to sit there so that I can process it and move through it. Right. Like such a keen awareness of, um, you as a, as a being, you know, um, how do you think that even happens that you developed that awareness because that's throughout all your story almost. I'm just, I just hang out with really good people. Um, I, I, I have, I, I attribute it any, anything that's redeemable in me. I attribute to someone else. Uh, it's none of, none of this shit is original that I've been talking about. It's all borrowed and um, from people that I love and care about and that are part of my clan and my group. And, um, you know, it, it, Long story short, I'm just with recovery in general. Recovery, that kind of says it all, you know, doesn't it? What are we, I'm I'm recovering from life. Mm -hmm. You know, it all boils, all this craziness that we see, all the shit that is inexplicable. Mm -hmm. It all goes back to trauma, childhood Mm -hmm. trauma, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. And I've just got a lot of people that I can be, wide open with and um you know at the end of the day i I really think the best that i'm going to do on this planet is to help some alcoholics and some drug addicts get out of the dark Mm -hmm. and uh that is that is done with love community again coming Uh back to your community Mike, is there anything um, you think you want to leave with people today? Any thoughts that you really just want to drive home? Um, Anything? If you think someone's struggling, if you know someone's struggling, even though you may feel inadequate in terms of being able to help, that's not true just not true how are you you know let's go get coffee um if 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 you choose to live a life of service one thing about living in such a fucked up world is there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there's a lot of opportunity to help people and again everybody that's where do you have to look just right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs love, needs a, you know some form of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and please, you know, don't if 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 it resonates with you that that you you don't necessarily want to die, you just want the pain to stop. There is a way to 
diminish and have your pain weakened and, and it uh, atrophied, um, man, get it manageable. But you're going to have to work for it. More than likely, it's not going to just show up, you know. If you're if you're isolating and alone and afraid, step out, make a phone call, make a fucking phone call, let somebody in. And uh, this is here the big lie for anybody that's that's listening to this right now that has contemplated suicide, that is wrestling with SI, that has a plan. The big lie that you tell yourself is that it's not going to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. It'll be better off with it, without me. No, mm-hmm. the fuck. No, it fucking will not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it won't. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Not at all. I can't tell you. I, I guess you guys know, but. And also, if you know, you tell yourself that. Nobody's going to miss you. I, I have, cannot describe adequately how painful my son taking his own life has been on his mother, on his little brother. It's horrible. He, he can't do it. Got to find, got to find another, got to find another solution. Mm-hmm. It absolutely destroys people. Step out and get help. Call 988. Mm-hmm. Call or text 988. I did it. I've done it twice. Um, my depression on the other side of it, you know, I'm sure you're both aware that bipolar. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm manic, it's, it's, I, I, I do okay. Um, if I'm leveled out, I do okay. But man, I go, I, I go dark. Mm-hmm. I go dark and, and I don't let anybody in. But you know what? I haven't been dark now for, um, well, really since I left treatment. I haven't gone, I've had moments. I'll take a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, t- I'll take a fucking moment versus mm-hmm. day after day after day of just the morass and the darkness. And you just so shot out. You can't, you don't have the energy to reach up and turn the light off as you go mm-hmm. out of the room. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I know it. And, and, you know, if, if somebody were, were there, here's kind of a trick. If somebody right now is in that darkness Mm-hmm. To communicate with somebody who who can appreciate the darkness and knows the darkness and is familiar with that distress and that pain. If you two talk and and compare notes and lift each other up, it's it's, it's amazing how much how you can get light on the dark and uh, and kind of offset that depression. Life is worth living. It really is. Mm-hmm. You've got to. You got to find the love. Mm-hmm. Find the love through your community and dialogue. Well, thank you, Mike, for um, being vulnerable and open and sharing your story with us, um, as well as how 
you have worked and are continuing to work through everything. Um, we so appreciate you being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to And Life Happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen to and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.